0: code sydney proud sponsor of talking time with lucas and alicia have developed our amazing website www.talkingtimepodcast.com.au hey alicia tell us what code sydney do mate
1: All right, Code Sydney helps those who are helping the community. So they uh, partner with charity organizations, not for profit groups, and they have beginner developers that will have the chance to gain practical, real world experience while they're helping the community. So it's pretty much a win win scenario.
0: Mate, you've got to love that in our world, mate, when it's a win win, when uh, the community's getting a crack at something and then others are learning from the task too. Uh, You can't beat that, mate. So, the support from Code Sydney to help us get Talking Time website done and just to keep us on air and to make this thing work is is much appreciated and fantastic. Reach out to Code Sydney, www.code.sydney, and they'll be able to check out and see all of the stuff you need for your not-for-profit or community website or social platform
1: yeah you can also get in touch with them um, via email info at code.sydney and you can book a 30 minute zoom meeting to have that conversation with them to see where they can help you so how brilliant is that
0: love it code sydney you are amazing thanks for supporting talking time with lucas and alicia Hey Alicia, it is that time of the week again. It is Talking Time with Lucas and Alicia. How you doing bud? What's going on?
1: Oh, not too bad. I can't believe it's um, another weekend over already.
0: Mate, it's kicking along and you know the scary bit is, mate, is one of my little guys just come in the other day and said to me, goes, oh dad, have you started getting our Christmas presents yet?
1: (laughs) I I love it. I, he's a planner
0: <laughs> I don't I don't swear at my kids but oh my goodness I got close that day <laughs> it was like no you need to get away from me right now we've got a million things to do before then hey um today's today's guest is someone I've known for a very 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 long time we were just trying to work this out before and it's over 20 years that that, that I've known this lady and and what she does in our neighborhood here in Western Australia but what's uh, the reaches is, um, is inspirational and it is uh and Moore. and is the ceo of the lucy saw center here in um in western australia and perth and and welcome to talking time with lucas and alicia
2: oh lovely to be with you it's hey. so great to meet you and thank you
0: it is brilliant hey we're gonna get we're gonna start us off and then i'm gonna take a bit of a back step here but we want to know about the lucy saw center we want to know about what it does what it's about how you got to where you are in this space and give us the rundown because it is such a valuable, inspirational thing that occurs in our city and there's there's more of it needed, you know, times 100 and we want to hear about it. So over to you, my dear.
2: Thank you. Well, first of all, I think I can tell you that I'm, you know, I'm the CEO of a whole um, suite of services and the Lucy Thorn now has celebrated 40 years in this space, which is quite an wow. amazing... Uh, amazing effort. Um, I have been with it for 33 years which I think is also amazing to to think that um, I'm still really enjoying the work that I do but I started off um, really years ago when I was interested in um, children's work so I I did some work for like a child child protection service although be really a short period of time but I really felt that um, And I'll tell you this, Lucas, that you may remember or may not. But years ago, I had a a back injury where I broke my back. And um, I was in hospital in one of the um, local hospitals here in Perth. And one of the women that was sharing my room had um, she was in there having surgery on an injury and she didn't tell anybody anything. But during the night when we when we couldn't sleep, you know, we had a conversation and I found out that her husband had actually Um, hurt her so badly that, but she didn't report it to anyone. She didn't report it to police. She didn't report it to anyone. And the hospital didn't, wasn't aware of the injuries. Although I think they suspected it wasn't um, an accident, but of course she wasn't divulging that. So when I left the hospital, um, I, I wasn't walking very well for a very long time, but I had time to think about it. And I thought, you know, I'm sure she's not the only woman that this is happening to. And she wouldn't be the only woman that actually hasn't um, spoken about it. And this woman's story was really quite, well, heart reaching for me because um, apart from the physical injuries, there was a lot of coercive control and there was a lot of um, financial abuse. Um, She had been incarcerated um, and she was telling me that in the strictest of confidence at the time that he had, It it caused a lot of debt. He'd also made her lie to um, the organization here, which is um, Centrelink, which was enabling her to get payments. So then she was charged with that fraud and ended up doing some time in Bandiop prison. And so that was my really first experience back then with um, the plight of women in domestic violence. So it stayed with me for a very long time. And then um, an opportunity came up when I started to be able to be mobile again. I decided to uh, apply for a, um, a position. I was really on a 12 month um, position um, to replace one of the workers that was on maternity leave. And so I ended up being successful in this job. And of course I've been here ever since, so 33 years later. Wow. And in that time, I've actually worked my way up to now being the CEO of a whole group of services. Um, so we, we manage three refuges. Um, we have workers in three police stations. We have um, a, keep, a safe at home program, which has enabled women um, to remain safe in their home, but not to become homeless through domestic violence we have Keeping Women Safe, we have counseling services. So we've grown this from a very small, one little tiny refuge, you know, here in Rockingham to quite a a big uh, suite of services. So I'm very proud of that. But I've never lost sight of that woman's story.
1: That's just inspirational. Um, Definitely incredible. Hey, Anne. Are you able to give our listeners a little bit of advice? A couple of different situations that, you know, do stem from incarceration. Um, First one being if there is um, an individual coming home uh, from some time spent in incarceration, um, you know, and and they, they have no other options, they have to return to um, an environment that, you know, is filled with family and domestic violence, what can they do? How do they reach out and safely get help? What is your advice in that situation?
2: Well, gosh, um, well, it would be hoped that anyone that is leaving an institution, if it's a woman who's leaving and having to return home, hopefully, you know, the work would be done while she's in prison. And I know that that wouldn't be happening the same around the world that it might be here in in Western Australia. But hopefully that would be the case. But I would really recommend that that women uh, reach out to services like mine. And I think there are some services there that um, work specifically for women in domestic violence that may be in a domestic violence, um, in a relationship that has domestic violence in it. Um, I know we certainly have them here, but I'm, I'd be mindful that um, perhaps, you know, to seek out a women's specific service, whether it be a crisis um, intervention service. And um, there's lots of services in the phone book that you could, I mean, for us, we will actually, um, speak to any woman who's needing help from us so we're a 24-7 service as well and I think that's important to try and um, make sure that you um, have a look at the services in your area that would be able to give you that because domestic violence doesn't happen between nine and five it's you know most likely it's going to happen after hours so there wouldn't be any But, you know, certainly use your your police and report it. I think a lot of domestic violence goes unreported for fear that, you know, police are going to be punitive and get involved. You know, I don't know where your listeners will be around the world, but certainly in in our neck of the woods, they're very much more of support now than they are of, uh, you know, behaving in a punitive manner.
1: Yeah. From what we hear, sometimes taking that first step to getting help can be the hardest um, are there different avenues and different ways that um, individuals or women um, can get help without it being, um, for example, some may struggle to have access to a phone that isn't being tracked or monitored, um, mm. Mm. You, you know, that could jeopardise safety. Um, some women are concerned with their vehicles having um, tracking devices fitted on them, or through the phone. Yeah. So maybe yeah. turning up to that face to face may be difficult. What are the avenues, or, or are there other avenues to seek help? Um, you know, in various ways that would suit the different women or individuals. In well, society. you've
2: certainly addressed all the ones that I would be generally using, you yeah. know, to be able to do that. And I think access to internet is another one. And um, yeah. I think if you can, I mean, if you do have a phone, you should ring me 1800RESPECT in your area or, or whatever, or your crisis care number. But certainly speak to someone, um, whether it be a neighbour so or a friend or someone that is um, that you can trust. And I think is to be setting a safety plan in place, you know. So say if you're in prison and you need to be leaving prison, I think, you know, with any social worker or anyone that's there, talk to them about the concerns about you going, that they may be, they may be able to do a, an effective safety plan or a risk assessment with you. Yeah. And um and you, you yourself that is experiencing or fearful of domestic violence is the best person to inform people of what that risk might look like. Because I think external people, we all think that we know, but we don't. We just don't know the extent of the risk. But if I was doing a safety plan, I would definitely be looking at, um, you know, sit alongside that person and develop a plan that is going to be workable for her. Yeah. So it might be that you might have a really good friend. It might be that, you know, you, um, you put some, well, let's see, you put some documents in a bag, you put some information, you put whatever you need, you know, if you if you do have a a home ownership, I would strongly suggest that you put those documents, even if you photocopy them and put them with a friend. Don't let the perpetrator know what you're doing without those, but keep it in a safe place so that when you do have to leave quickly, at least you've got your documents.
0: Yeah, um, I'm
2: not sure what happened there.
0: (laughs) No, no, it's 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 an interesting thing. I want to ask you a question. And I obviously grew up in a domestic violence house where mm-hmm. my father, you know, to, to my mother, and then us as kids. And I, I want from your perspective, abuse isn't just physical, is it? We're talking about no, it isn't. We're talking about a lot bigger yeah. things. So, can you paint a little picture for the listeners here as to, you know, what what abuse looks like and what it, what what it, it can. It's not just about smacking someone. It can be further and bigger than that. So, love your input.
2: No, well, it certainly is, and we talk about you know the physical. Of course, it's very tangible, and it you can see that there'll be a black eye, there'll be a broken bone, there'll be all of those. But I think sometimes our um, women who speak to us they really talk about that non-physical violence, so that emotional abuse about you know how um, how the perpetrators will withhold money, will stop them going to their um, faith-based church. Um, all, a whole range of of um, situations, one in which I can just tell you a quick little story is um, the first woman I ever spoke to in my job was that she had um, her her partner her husband as it was at the time, would leave the house every morning and back and then they would take the um, the fuse box the little thing out of the fuse box so she couldn't watch television Wow. Yeah. He would take down the number, you know, the, the speedometer numbers, so he knew the distance yeah. between home and the school or home and whatever, and he would check that every night. He would, you know, do all sorts of things. And so that, that's the kind of abuse that people don't see. And there's a lot of that coercive control, you know, that really makes it impossible really for women to tell the story and people believe them. So one of the things that I always say, you know, you need, when a woman tells you that she's experiencing domestic and family violence, you believe her because that might be the only opportunity you ever have to work with her again because if you don't believe her, she probably will never speak about it again Mm. and we know that homicide and domestic violence is massive around the world. But certainly yeah. here in Western Australia and Western Australia and Australia, you know, we're almost losing three women a week to family and domestic violence.
1: Shocking
2: Yeah, it really um, is.
1: What has been your experience um, working in the centre um, with family and domestic violence through everything that is going on with COVID? Have you seen yeah. any changes um, in um, individuals presenting? With family We have violence.
2: seen some changes. We have actually seen an increase through the locker, you know, the lockdown periods, mm-hmm. because you've got um, women unable to actually leave a domestic violence situation. And I think if um, I don't know where you've done any research in this, but if you look at you know the Google searches for um, family domestic violence services, I think the biggest time. Of that is two o'clock in the morning, between two and three o'clock in the morning, when the women were able to get on on there and search oh, some wow. information around family and domestic violence. So
1: that wow. in itself tells you a story. That's it.
0: Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, we've
1: had a, a bit of a chat about. Um, sorry, Lucas like i just go, go 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 go.
0: <laughs> I could talk to Anne um, all day.
1: We've had a bit of a conversation about the support services that are available um, to women. Uh, what about men who are returning home after being incarcerated? We've heard a couple of times from um, individuals who say, you know, they've come home and they may be experiencing um, issues with um, not being able to communicate um, properly with their partners. They might yeah. have um, some anger issues or whatnot. Is there help available for them, um, you know, that they can you know, acknowledge there's an issue and go get help before um, you know it does start impacting the family.
2: No there certainly is help and um, for us here we've got a behavior change program that men can engage in and they can also the men's DV helpline where they can talk things through when they're starting to feel like that. But also I think it's very I think it's important right now for me to explain to you and your listeners that domestic violence is not an anger issue. Domestic violence is about power and control. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, and I, I say this, um, and I can't I can't explain it enough, is that um, domestic violence is all about power and control because that same person who will do that to his partner will not go to work and when his boss pisses him off, he doesn't hit his boss, yeah. you know, and we have to be very clear about that. So that's not anger. It's mm-hmm. quite a different. But for someone who is actually living... Um, If he's gone into prison because of domestic violence initially that's a whole different story because you'd like to think that before he's released he's done a certain amount of programs and he would be given all that information before he leaves. But if it's someone who um, has been in prison for other criminal activity and then returns home I guess that's a little bit more difficult for authorities to monitor. So the onus is then definitely on the victim to actually keep herself safe and that, that's quite scary. So we would say in that case that it, you know the, the woman does need to take um, action and alert people when that is happening. Because I think there's varying, varying um, degrees of how much support and help a person leaving incarceration is receiving before that happens. And I think it's a well-known fact, it's very little <laughs> really in the real world you know we'd like to think it is actually much better than it is but I think it's very little of that um leaving leaving prison for both victims and also for perpetrators
0: the um one of the interesting things about seeing and actually having spent time with some guys inside that have been charged with domestic violence is that in the large part then actually not they're actually not held too high in the uh inside prison community either.
1: Mm. Um, no. no. They're,
0: they're not as they're not as uh, low on the pecking order as someone that's hit a child or touched a child, but they ain't far from it. Mm. And mm. some of that mm. some of that stigma actually lobs onto those guys too, which is well which is deserved. And it mm. unfortunately mm. and the reality of it, the unfortunately is it actually sometimes stops people that are inside identifying to do programs because they're effectively yeah. putting himself out there for a whole lot of other stuff that comes with it. So
2: exactly. Which exactly. is a challenge
0: because it almost perpetuates mm. this cycle is if they go in for something, they don't get the support they need inside. They come yeah. back out and the stuff starts again. So yeah. it's a, it's a whole, isn't it? I think
2: you're quite, I think you're quite right. And I think this is where I'd like to see a little bit more of women's programs in there to support those programs yeah. And I think, um, I think on the outside, you know, we do marry up quite a bit with perpetrator programmes so that we can get that holistic um, look at how, how the men just do move forward and held to account because we really want those men to be held to account. Yeah. We don't want to sanitise the violence. We don't want to make it something that it's not. So it needs to be held to account. But I think you're quite right that we need a way in which um the men are getting the appropriate help that they need and especially for those men that are holding their hands up and going I don't want to do this to my family anymore yep. I want it because I, I I'd like to think that men want to change and that's the same as women like they, everyone says to me why doesn't she just leave and I'm saying, well, your question should be, why does he hurt her? Yeah. It's not about why does she leave, but why does he hurt her? Yeah. But the reality is that the women love their men. They just want the violence to stop. And I would suspect strongly in that in lots of in lots of cases that the men want that too. Mm. So we need to find a way in which we can work proactively with both men and women to find, you know, a solution that is going to be safe. For both parties but especially for the victim
0: because yep. a
1: perpetrator hasn't got a lot to lose yep. but a victim can lose her life. Yep. So, um, what about when children come into play with yeah. <clears throat> violence um, yeah. with women who might be um, fearf- fearful of seeking help taking their children away and things like that what's your advice there?
2: Well that is a real fear and I think what what happens and again Sometimes there's system, abu- a system abuse around that where um, child protection services leave um, holds the woman to account because she's not keeping her children safe because of this perpetrator. And so that also um, can stop people from seeking help. And we know that, you know, we, we have women, and this is a non government service can get a lot more done than a government service can because women don't want to go to government services okay. because they think they're going to lose their children. And especially, we um, you know, you know, Aboriginal women and um, <clears throat> are, um, are represented in this space and they're very fearful of being involved in child protection or even reporting it. And, of course, now um, the police do, if they attend to a family home and there's children there, that automatically gets um, under the watch of child protection services. So then they contact them and want to know how is this going to how are these children going to be said safe if you're going to keep in contact with this perpetrator then we're going to have to do something about keeping your children safe so they might come into the care of the department so often that can prevent women from getting the help they need from police and um, so it's a you know we need to be working much better in that space and making sure that women can get the help they need and make sure that and it's all our responsibility to keep children safe yeah. and to make sure that the children are not exposed to that violence. And, and even whether, you know, the perpetrator never touches those children. And I think, Lucas, you've said earlier about your experience as a child. I bet, you know, you would have still experienced that awful fear and that, you know, what's been going on in your family. Children are like sponges. Yep. They actually feel all of that that's happening. Absolutely. And we want to make sure that children are safe and, and get the right supports. I think that's important, to get the right supports for children.
1: Now, I do have one more question for you, and I yeah. now know the answer for it, but I'll <laughs> ask away. Um, you know, who can access the services? If we're looking at women, is there still that kind of stigma around um, family and domestic violence um, where it occurs with a certain age group or socioeconomic or demographic yeah. um, group? The reason I ask is I had um, in another lifetime found myself um, in the need of um, being in a women's uh, shelter. So I had my two children and I had no other option. Up to go there escorted by the police. And when I found myself there, I thought I shouldn't be there. Now I had a full time, um, you know, really good paying position, but I felt like I should not be accessing that help. When I looked around, and there were women there who did not have jobs, who did not have income, that Mm. did not have Mm. a roof over their head or anywhere Mm. to go back to. So (laughs) who can access the services?
2: Well, anyone can, and everyone should. And one of the things is if, um, like, we've had um, wives and partners from lawyers, doctors, all sorts of um, socioeconomic backgrounds. For some reason, like, people that are more affluent can go into a motel the night or a hotel the night so may not need a crisis bed in a refuge. But we get linked with those. So for us, we get um, contact from the police. So we do what's called a, a DBIR. We'll be contact from all of those people that were um, that the police attended the night before and we will contact them to see what kind of supports we can give them a whole range of supports and i do also want to make it um, a point here today that in our one of our programs we also um, support Um, men from a same-sex relationship because, you know, just because they're two men doesn't mean that there's not an imbalance of power in that relationship as well. And so we we work specifically with that whole um, cohort. We also have transgender people that we work with and we encourage that because that's a whole other cohort that may not get a service. And I think We've been doing that really well at Lucy Saw. so we're you know we're very proud of that because I think that's really important that all people can have access to our service um, but we do draw the line we hope anybody that's identifying as a perpetrator will refer to a perpetrated um, behavior change program and hopefully that will work but everyone else can actually access our service
1: yeah
0: that's wonderful. Anne, let me ask you this yeah a dad i'm a dad of two boys similar to a lot of our listeners at home what do i do what do i make sure what do i do to teach these guys and teach these boys to respect females respect their mothers respect their sisters their friends everything else that goes with it and to try and break this cycle how what do i do
2: well, I think what you're doing, and I follow you closely on Facebook. So, Ooh, don't do that. But I, I, think, I think what you do is, is model the behavior. And I think we do have to have respect. We need to be very clear about the role and, and, and to be equal in a relationship to make sure that, <clears throat> excuse me, that we teach our children that we do need to have a nonviolent way of, of managing our, ourselves but how we actually manage that when it comes to relationships and, and when it's a good time to walk away because I think that's really important. I mean, you're young children, so you can't do that. But as you grow on, you know, you, re- you need to be able to model a behaviour that says that you respect their mother and if you don't respect the mother, you don't respect them yep. and you don't respect yourself. And I think even in relationships that, you know, find themselves um, moving apart for lots of other reasons. You still need to find a a position where you can actually have total respect in front of your children. And, And you need to model that. You need to call out behaviors from another male that you're in their company, and especially when there's children around. And if you hear some language that isn't okay, or you hear them making jokes about women, and you can you can do that in the pub in your sporting clubs anywhere that you are i think it's important to call that behaviour out and i think i i strongly believe this that there's only men can change men's behaviour
0: it's powerful mate and it's and it's a message for a lot of guys that that listen to this and their families and we have such a diverse listenership um and in regards to we have a 50 50 male or female split um across the world so I guarantee there's going to be people listening to this that are going to be on both sides of of this that are experiencing domestic violence and may even be the perpetrators of domestic violence so yeah I'm talking from guy to guy that the only person that can break this cycle is you I Uh, made sure my boys will never ever ever and hey don't don't profess for a second um that there's sometimes in my world that my wife makes me crazy As it happens in every other partner's everywhere else in the world, but Mm. that ain't going to be fixed with a hand. That ain't going to be fixed. No, you know, it's fixed with a disagreement. But men, Mm. men, you can change this. It is up to you to change it, but you got to have the balls to do it. Step up, break the cycle. Because you know what? Every one of us came from a woman, every one of us came from a mother, every one of us have people out in the world that. We love and we care for. So you break the cycle now and think about the stuff you're saving down the track.
2: Absolutely. And I think, too, I think we also have to understand the the difference between in families and argument and domestic violence. Absolutely. And I think, you know, like we need to be able to um, make the difference in that. I think it's okay to have arguments. That's healthy and disagreements. But that violence in all of its forms is not okay. Absolutely
0: absolutely yeah alicia have you got anything else that you would like to ask this amazing lady because i don't know mate. I, I feel like uh pulling up a pulling up a pew and putting my feet up and talking to her for the next five hours <laughs> it would be wonderful
1: it would absolutely be wonderful um no i don't have any more questions and but i would just like to admire the work you do um thank you inspiring and incredible so thank you um Thanks. for helping as many people as you do Anyone? And I'm sorry
2: to hear about your journey as well, um, both of you actually in your life. So I'm really glad to see you have moved on from all of that and doing well.
0: If if anyone is looking for the Lucy Saw Centre and how do they get, how do they reach out, how do they find you, how do they find um, the programs that you guys are looking for?
2: Well, we um, we are listed on on the website um, and crisis care. Anybody. Everywhere we can get it, we're in the, you know, you can Google us for the phone number. We don't want to keep it secret any longer. We want people to know that we're there. I think back in the day, refuges were kept very secret, Mm -hmm. although we do keep the address very secret at this stage. We don't want just everybody knowing where it is, especially perpetrators that might be angry. But I think um, we want to make sure that people will talk about us and say, you know, there is services there for you. Your local police will know about us. Yeah. Um, crisis care, which is the um, the main you know crisis helpline here in WA, one um, eight hundred respect. Anybody with anyone dealing with domestic violence will actually know our number.
0: So, and for those that are interstate and overseas, is there would be similar programs? There'd be similar facilities Absolutely. operating.
2: Yeah, I think in the UK it's the Women's Link over there in the UK. I think um, in in the US there's a lot of um, church groups that run refuges um but generally there is a crisis line that's set up that you would be able to access and that would definitely be in you know your emergency services in your phone book did did they have phone books anymore not really sure but I'm sure my 70 years now aren't I so um, but you know in, in um, on your on your browser and on your um, your search engine, wherever you you know you get your information from, they, they would definitely be listed in in your um, right across Australia. Every state has a, a crisis line. Um, and as I say, 1 800 respect in, in Australia is across it's a national definitely a, a national number.
0: Fantastic, fantastic. Um, mate, it has been amazing having you on. It's been amazing seeing your beautiful face and hearing what you're doing and, and the amazing things you continue to do in our community here. And hats off and, and hand on heart. Thank you so much for for what you do, mate. It is inspirational.
2: Absolutely.
0: Thank you very much. Lovely to see you both. Mate, hey, Alicia, can you let everyone know, mate, what, how to contact us if they need to get in touch with us and uh, and talk to us and let us know what's going on?
1: Yeah. All our details are up on the website. So that one is talkingtimepodcast.com.au has all of our contact uh, details and information there and links to previous episodes. We can also be reached on Facebook messenger or our LinkedIn profiles as well.
0: Mate, I feel empowered to have spent an hour with two super strong and um, brilliant women. So thank you very much for making uh, my afternoon. Good.
2: Thank you. And thank you for the opportunity as well. And I'll, um, I'm going to keep listening.
0: Fantastic, <laughs> And Thank you very much, And Alicia, you. you're your amazing, Leash. And mate, I know that hits home for you, hard, Leash, because I know that when we listened to your story a few weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago on this, um, it was authentic, raw, and um, and open, and you know, and and, and powerful that you were share, able to share your story. And then I think we put a good. A good cap on it with bringing Anne on to talk about the services and stuff that's provided. So I completely
1: agree with
0: you there. Thank you. Hey, have Aww. a good, have a good, enjoyable Sunday evening, and we'll see you all next week.
1: See you.